looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Mel, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 124 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back as we are about to embark on something exciting and new. So come aboard. We're expecting you. Did you guess? That's right. Bernie Coppell is here. Doc from the Love Boat. Jeff, that's pretty exciting. That means you've had Isaac Gopher and now Doc on the podcast. That's right. Bernie Coppell is here. We're going deep on the Love Boat. We're talking Get Smart. And Bernie shares a ton of great stories from his career with me today. I'm excited for you to hear from this amazing comedic actor. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. But as I mentioned, this is a a full Love Boat themed episode. So I would be remiss to not mention Ted Lange, episode 52, Isaac, serving up the interview in episode 52. And Fred Grandy Gopher chatting it up with us in episode 84. If you want Love Boat, you've come to the right place. The Love Boat soon will be making another run. After you listen to this episode, if you haven't already, it's time to run to our previous episodes. I hope you got to enjoy my conversation with Monica Piper, amazing comedian, Emmy Award winning television writer, and Paul Mercurio. Hilarious comedian, loved him on The Daily Show, Paul and Monica, episodes 122 and 123. Make sure you've checked both of those episodes out when you disembark from episode 124 with Bernie Cobell. I don't know about you, but me and my family, along with the rest of the world, were caught up in all that Wordle stuff. A buddy of mine created uh, an app called Jaw Monkey. If you like those word challenges, add that to your list. Available on your iPhones. Drive yourself crazy trying to figure out as many words as you want all day, every day, and then challenge your friends. Check it out. John Monkey. Hey, while I'm in the given mood, a couple other podcasts you should check out. Some friends of mine, Weekend Update with Nate Armstrong, Behind the Bits with Scott Curtis, The Sal and Bob Show with Sal D'Amelio and Bob Phillips. Two of my co-hosts from Crossing the Streams, the weekly show we all do live every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us live on YouTube as we talk about TV shows you should be binging. Also, check out Coffee with Kenobi from frequent guest Dan Zare. They just updated their logo. It's looking hot, my friend. Hot. Also, check out the commercial break with Brian Green. Those are some of my faves. I got more, but that's all I'm going to list off in this episode. I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor, 99 Gadgets and More. If you're a person on the go and you're looking for fake fingertips, false necks, finger guns, fingernail phones, glass cutters, hairbrush guns, shoe phones, compact files, comb phones, invisible dust, invisible chalk, 
a jacket phone, a leaf notebook. The list goes on and on. We're ready to prepare you for whatever chaos might cross your path. Mind control chip, micro camera, we've got it all. Commando kit, cone of silence, coffee and donut radio. We won't send you in unprepared. We got everything from A to bulletproof pajamas. Get it at 99 Gadgets today. Don't face the chaos alone. All right. Well, I'm excited to share my conversation with Bernie Coppell with you. An amazing career that goes back all the way to the 60s. Bernie continues to work to this day. Bernie shares stories from the Danny Thomas show, Jack Benny, when things were rotten, stories with Mel Brooks, his beloved Love Boat cast, and so much more. I'm excited to share all the stories Bernie shared with me with you. I do want to kind of say up front in the intro uh, in a joking manner because of the uh, uh, sex symbol status Bernie got from the love boat. I said sex icon. I meant to say sex symbol. We both went with it. Whatever. I'm just telling you, I know I said the wrong phrase. I meant to say sex symbol, and I said sex icon, which I believe I made up. Anyway, everyone, here's my conversation with Bernie Coppell. Enjoy. Everybody, I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest one of the greatest comedic actors of our lifetime. You loved him in Get Smart, Bewitched, That Girl, and of course, The Doctor and Sex Icon from the Love Boat, Bernie Coppell. Bernie, welcome to the show. A sex icon. I think you may have gone too far with that. Maybe, but I liked, I, liked, I wanted to go over the top. I wanted to pull everybody in. <laughs> oh, God. When I did Good Morning America in New York, um... One of the lady commentators said, you're the sex object of the show. I said, oh, 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 and I, because uh, <laughs> I really came into that whole area kind of uh, late in in my life. And all of a sudden, you know, I was being mean to people. I mean, the first thing I did was um, I was in, in my Latino period. And I was because I could do the accent. I just discovered by accident, accident that I could do the accent. I did that for the first five years in, in the biz with uh, Favorite Martian, Flying Nun, the Danny Kaye show, Jack Benny. Danny was a little difficult in the sense that uh, he could be the only one to get a laugh. I made a horrible mistake one day. I got a laugh, and he was not happy about that. He uh, dug his nails into my forearm and made a face like, do that again, and I'll kill you. One of these really charming things that happened. But, you know, working for Jack Benny, it was a brilliant sketch. You know, Benny had a team of writers who wrote all of his brilliant stuff. Jack Benny and Dennis uh, Dennis Day and uh, Don Wilson and all of these uh, amazing talents. Jack had no problem. He understood if you do something funny on the Jack Benny show, it amplifies the Jack Benny show. He understood that, and uh, he said to me, you know, when we got done with the sketch, he said, how come you know your part so well, you son of a bitch? That was <laughs> the way he spoke. And I said, oh, God, working, working with you, Mr. Benny, I, I just I couldn't bear to mess up. And so I went over it a thousand times, and he just made that gesture with his hands, like, oh, you know, don't, don't give me any praise. He was just that kind of a princely human being. And I loved him dearly, and he tolerated me. That was, that was just a delightful time I had. It's an interesting story about Danny Kay, about wanting all the laughs for himself. It seems like such a, I understand, I guess, if, you, if your ego needs that, but it has to be so uncomfortable for everyone around. 
the Jack Benny concept of understanding that, you know, rising tide lifts all ships is seems just so much more in tune with creating a really comedic environment. Exactly. You, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, and, you know, backing the whole thing up with Danny Kay, when he was a kid in what we call the mountains, uh, he was what you call a tumbler. A tumbler is a kid who gets room and board, and uh, his job is to amuse the the patrons so they don't you know get tired of everything and go home. You know if the weather is inclement, and they do a show on Saturday night. So my folks were there. I think my folks were on their honeymoon, and they so he made an impression on my parents. So when he started in films, the kid from Brooklyn, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, all these things, I said, oh my. God, this is this is that kid, Daniel David Kaminsky, the Lady in the Dark. He stole the show on Broadway, and then he then he got into these films. He starred above everybody else in these films. That oh my! Then I got a when I I went to work for him and his show. I could barely speak because he was so huge in our Brooklyn home. Danny Kay, oh boy, look at all these films. We call it. He he had to be the virtuoso which does not really work for the rest of the cast. You know, Harvey Corman and myself were, were straight men on, on his show, so to speak. And that was not fun, getting fired eventually from, from his show, because uh, not a pleasant guy. But one of the things I remember on his show, Mary Tyler Moore, who you might say was a, a pretty attractive human being. Mary Tyler Moore is guesting on the Danny Kaye show. And she comes out, and she this is during rehearsal. She is wearing what looks like a $50,000 white evening gown. The band strikes up, and I say, oh, gee, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? She starts singing. This was one of the insanely incorrect songs to sing, looking like that with that outfit. Ten cents a dance. That's what they pay me. <laughs> oh, how they weigh me down. I mean, what, what an insane outfit to wear for just getting 10 cents a dance. So that just made no sense. But I mean, it was, it's always a great pleasure to work with, <laughs> to just see that human being in, in all her gorgeousness. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore. And later on, uh, I, did a, I played a boyfriend of hers when she had her own show. And I also did the uh, Dick Van Dyke show back in the Desilu Kawanga, which is where we eventually did the, uh, the Marlo Thomas show. But, oh, this way, the, the show I did with, with her and Dick Van Dyke was, it seems that Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, as, the, as the, the couple, were having some arguments, and they had decided to go to Mexico to get a Mexican divorce. And I was a Mexican lawyer. <laughs> Eventually, I convinced them that uh, it would be a lot easier and cheaper if they just remained married. So that was just a delightful time. And I'd work three times with Dick. What was amazing about Dick, he was perceived, not really amazing, but, but true. He was perceived by CBS. Hold, hold on. Josh, I'm doing a phone interview. Be quiet. That's one of my uh, delinquent sons. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's shutting the door now. So anyway, so what it is in the early 70s, uh, CBS calls Dick. Van Dyke, and they said, Dick, we'd like you to come back to um, Hollywood and, and do, uh, do another show. He was living in Carefree, Arizona, and he really didn't feel like doing that. So he said, guys, 
Thank you very much for the for the offer, but I'm in Carefree, Arizona. I've been working very hard, so I'm just here relaxing. So a little time goes by, and they double the money. They says, guys, understand, I just want to stay here in Carefree, Arizona. And then they come back and they say, okay, Dick, what if we build you a studio in Carefree? Okay. <laughs> they built a studio in Carefree, Arizona. I got to play a um, an Arizona Highway Patrol helping him illustrate the, the difficulty of uh, drinking and driving. This, this allowed him to do his brilliant uh, drunk routine. And uh, his manager kept saying, they start making bets. He said, Bernie, you're going to crack up. It's so funny. I said, no, I will not crack up. I'm a pro. That's it. So he did it, and I was struggling not to crack up. It was so amazingly brilliant. So the thing is, all the people laugh their faces off, and uh, it's a great success. And uh, he whispers in there. He says, Burn, you want a drink? I said, yeah. With you? He said, yeah, okay. So I'm visualizing going with Dick Van Dyke to uh, some exclusive uh, eating and drinking place in Carefree, Arizona. So I said, okay, come on, come with me. So it looks to me like we're going out of the studio that they've built for him. And uh, I said, oh, there's the prop room. And he opens the door of the prop room. The prop room turned out to be his destination. So Dick and I got shit-faced in the prop room. He goes in there and he opens up opens up the fridge and he brings out some some booze and we sit on boxes and uh, and just drink for for a while you know and Dick Dick was um, not a let he admittedly had a drinking problem but uh, it was no problem that evening because we really got into the booze but uh, and then I did uh, diagnosis murder later on that was the third thing I did with Dick and uh, a delightful human being and a enormous talent very humble, really. So anyway, we want to talk about Love Boat, okay? Well, let me, let me ask you a few questions. So it sounds like, I mean, other than Danny Kaye, you've spent most of your career just laughing and having a good time. You've been surrounded by some amazing, also very talented people. When you started your career, I read that you did for like the first four years, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, is it was all accents. You were a Puerto Rican dentist and a flying nun, and then you mentioned the Mexican divorce lawyer. <laughs> Is that what pivoted to the role in Get Smart? Well, I discovered after, you know, when I first came out, James Drury, who played the Virginian, I don't know if you remember the Virginian. Do you remember the Virginian? I remember the show, but okay, I, I well, don't think uh, I ever watched it. James Drury and I were, were uh, classmates at New York University, and we were in plays together at, at NYU, and uh, it was great, great fun. But he says to me, oh, okay, so I get drafted into the Navy. So I get drafted in the Navy, and I spend two years in, in the Navy, and I get, I get out. I'm in New York, and I'm floundering. I, say, I, I had no idea what the hell I was selling, what my marketability could possibly be. So uh, Jim goes out to after the first year at, at NYU. Yeah, he gets Western after Western after Western, and, they, and he, he eventually ends up with uh, the Virginian, which went on for a long time. And I'm just floundering, just having a miserable time in, uh, in New York. So he calls me and says, Bert, come on out to California. 
said, I've got an agent for you, and you can stay with my wife and, and I. We can hang out together and, and have some fun. I go out there, and I said, oh, my God, he got an agent for me. This is so exciting. So I have my little 8 by 10 and I have my resume, and I go to see his agent. And I'm very nervous. I give the agent my 8 by 10 my resume, which is stuff I've just done at school. The agent gives me a very judgmental look and says, and I quote, did Jim tell you I'd be your agent? How can I be your agent? A real hard look. You're not handsome enough to be a leading man. You're not ugly enough to be a heavy. And I was dismissed. And I said, oh, crap, this is not, this is not working very well. So I'm driving a taxi, and I, I, have, I get an agent, and, I, and the agent, after a couple of months, just dumps me because nothing is happening in a positive way. Then I get another agent. This agent is slow. How slow was he? He was so slow that he would send me up for parts that had already been cast. I said, oh, crap, this is really terrible. So I go to uh, CBS Television City on Fairfax. And on my way, in, I see five guys or four guys who could have been Juan or Jesus or, or Pancho or Pablo. And the casting lady, I will never forget her name, is was Marilyn Budgeon. And I'm on my way out, and she, she says, uh, Mr. Coppell, as long as you're here, I'm so sorry that the part that you're up for has already been cast. And I say, well, um, of course, and I'm just so fucking depressed. I'm on my way out. And she says, excuse me, before you leave, would you like to read for Pablo? And I'm saying to myself, this is poison. This is insult to injury. And I said, okay. And I got so pissed about the whole thing. I said, okay, I will take up the valuable time of Buzz Blair, the producer, and I'll read for Pablo. I had no idea if I could do it or not, but I remember I said, okay, Jack Parr has Jose Melis as his pianist, and uh, Bill Dana has Jose Jimenez. I'll do them. I didn't know if I could, but I was just so pissed. I go in and I nail it. And I got the part of this bad guy who was uh, threatening ladies and older ladies and being a mean guy. And while I was in there, and I did that for three months, and I said, this is kind of fun. And even my mother said, Bernard, why are you talking funny? What, are you, what, what is this? Anyway, um, the uh, director was very flamboyant. And in the middle of the night, one night, I, I, get the, I get the idea. I said, why don't I just put the personality of the director and my character together and make a, a little sketch of a gay... Now, you can't do these things anymore, but you could at that time. It didn't matter. A gay Latino pilot. It turned out to be a brilliant sketch, and it got me all this work as a Latino on all these all these shows, as, as I mentioned before, uh, favorite Martian, Flying Nun, the, uh, even the Doris Day show, and that really got me going because I could do these, I could do this accent, and then I said, well, why don't I try other accents? And when I, I did uh, a little play, coming back to my father, convinced me that I could not make a living in any other business but his own jewelry business that I detested because it was a scam and deceit and all that negative crap. I said, I, I don't want that. I want to be, I want to do what I like to do. I want to be an actor. But they never told me that it'd be a great idea if I could do that. But I wanted it. I wanted it. And I kept trying, kept trying, kept coming after. I was playing a, a Russian peddler in a little, a little theater on Santa Monica Boulevard 
going door to door trying to sell a misnamed fruit fluter kitchen utensil in freezing buffalo. I got great reviews for that, and I could, I could do that Russian accent authentically. And we ran for about 11 months, and Leonard Stern, who was one of the members of Talent Associates that did many prestigious things in the 50s and 60s, he comes backstage to find me, and he said, Bernie Coppell, we're going to work together. And I, with my background, I thought this was just Hollywood bullshit. Within a very short time, he just hands me the role of Siegfried. And it was like a gift from heaven to play that character. So how, how do I do this? How do I do this? I mean, the guy's angry. He's, he's upset with uh, even with his henchmen. Oh, and it turned out to be very funny and very successful. But by the way, I'm still in touch with Barbara Feldon, who is one of the darlings of the world. Whenever I'm in New York, uh, we get together, we have dinner, we have some fun. That was great. Get Smart was one of my favorite shows. Me too. You were so funny in it. What was it like first working with the creators, Mel Brooks and Buck Henry? I understand Buck Henry was more involved with the show than Mel Brooks. Well, the show got on the air because of Mel, because Mel was so hot, and that's why the show got on. But Buck Henry stayed with it the first two years, and Mel was off doing a silent movie and, and all the other brilliant things that, that he did. And one of the things when we were doing Get Smart, Nobody in the world has a comedic mind as Mel Brooks. So the first time I now I got two kids, but but at that time when I was doing Get Smart, I I didn't have any kids. So he said he said he said uh, Bern, you got any kids? I said no. He said read the manual, read the manual. So I read the manual, and then he and Annie had a trip to Italy, and I said every whenever Mel came on, everybody was gathering. Oh, Mel is here, Mel is here. Let's let's uh, let's be around Mel because he's going to say something brilliant. So I said, now okay, oh everybody's all gathered around around Mel, and I said, Mel, when you went to Italy, what was the greatest architectural achievement you saw in Italy? Without missing a beat, he said, Carlo Ponti's elevated shoes that permit him to kiss Sophia Loren on the lips. <laughs> I mean, that mind, that mind is just, and he's still going on all, with all these things that, that he did. Although we did, uh, when things were rotten, after Get Smart, and that didn't quite go. That didn't quite go. We had, I thought we had a brilliant cast, Dick Gautier, the show the three Dicks, Dick Dimitri and uh, Dick Van Patten. And it just, you know, we did 12 episodes. And Dick Van Patten, who always bet on everything, he came into the business as a, as a kid, he would like to bet on everything. I bet on nothing. So as the show is going on, the numbers are diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. And I said, you know, Dick, it's, it's just not looking very good for us. He said, what are you talking about? He said, this is Mel Brooks for free on television. He said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you a bet. If the show gets canceled, I will give you $5,000. If the show stays on, all you'll have to give me is $1,000. Would you do that? I said, no, I don't bet. I don't bet. Well, the show got canceled. And uh, if I'd made the bet, I could have I could have been a rich man today. Yeah, you passed up an easy five. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dick Gautier. He was also in Get yeah. Smart with you, right? He was uh, Jaime. He played Jaime, Jaime the Robot. But anyway, I really wanted to talk about Love Boat. There were three pilots. The 
first captain was a very handsome Australian guy, a blonde guy, very handsome, but he wasn't an actor. He was a model, uh, very handsome. So ABC didn't really care for that too much. The second pilot, there was a, a guy who was an actor and a, and a writer of, uh, of soaps. ABC didn't care for that either. And now ABC is saying, you know, we're spending a lot of money on this show and it's just not good enough. So just on the 11th hour, they bring in Gavin McLeod. And that is the hit that they're looking for. That was the per- in the second one, uh, Fred Grandy and Ted Lange and myself were brought in for the second one. But they, they say, you know, come on, these people have spent so much money on these. He said, let's do the third pilot with Gavin McLeod on the Queen Mary. We did it on the Queen Mary. And uh, that's what that's what sold it, uh, having Gavin. And Gavin turned out to be a great, great, a great friend because we're both veterans of, of the business. I met him on um, McHale's Navy, and he had just finished Operation Petticoat with Cary Grant, and he was expecting on McHale's Navy something of really of great substance. That didn't happen, and he was kind of unhappy about that. He even asked Ed Montaigne, who was the, the director-producer, to be released, so he got released. He was always hopeful, and he gets the Mary Tyler Moore show. Prestige, great, wonderful. And then from that, he slides right into Love Boat as the captain Steuben. Gavin and I were, you know, the, the senior senior citizens of it. And we kind of kept everything uh, as as well as we could on. We would greet the uh, Academy Award-winning people and the other guests because we realized that, you know, some of these people hadn't worked in quite a while. We wanted to make them comfortable. But there was a really idiotic tradition in our strange business. And that tradition was for the director to find someone that they perceived to be the weakest link in the cast of, of actors and actresses and pick on them. In that moronic way, they could establish their authority, which was stupid, because you want your actors to be comfortable so they can really be good in the roles. So there was, a, there was a director who came on. He started doing that crap, and Gavin said, Burn, let's talk to this guy. We pulled him off in a corner, and Gavin says, Jack, you may not behave that way on this show. Is that clear? Do you understand that? And the director understood that he can't behave that way. He can't start picking on people because that's counterproductive. So Gavin had that authority and along with me, and we both straightened this guy out. So we cut to, uh, it was three years ago, we do the Rose Parade. <laughs> Gavin is always looking to be helpful because we're the old old farts of the, of the company. And just before the Rose Parade, they, you know, the, the Rose Parade, they had this beautiful float. Okay, so we're on the, flo- we're on the float, and just before we get on, Gavin says, burn. He whispers to me, come here, come here. I said, what? And he reaches into a big bag and he reaches, he brings out something. I don't know what, what the hell is this. This was, I said, what is it? He said, it's the male version of the pens. We're not going to be able to pee for three hours. He said, just put this on, put, put this on. So I put it on. Uh, <laughs> I was so concerned about the whole situation. I didn't pee for three hours anyway, but I was wearing a damn thing. That's just good sense. Yeah. It's interesting that you guys took the approach, which was the opposite experience that you had on the Danny K show, 
in the sense that you welcomed everyone that was there. And you guys as a cast, while the stars were supporting to the guests of that week's episode to make them feel like they were the stars. Exactly. You can, you can only get good performances out of people by making them comfortable. I mean, that's a key. You have to use kindness. Make them comfortable. One of the great directors that I've been working with was uh, James Burroughs. And uh, you know, I read about him and he said, my great mode of operating as a director is with kindness. And wow, what a powerful thing that was. So anyway, some of these people, we had Raymond Land on, on Love Boat. We had Eva Marie Saint. We had Shirley Jones. We had, oh God, uh, the, the guy from uh, McHale's Navy. Phil Silvers? No, no, we did have Phil Silvers, but we had um, Ernie Borgnine. And we had some of these fantastic Academy Award winners. And I said, oh my goodness, this is just what a treat. We had uh, all these amazing human beings who had won Academy Awards. Holy mackerel. And it was just a treat. And one of, one of my kids' teachers asked me, how did you feel about doing love? I said, I felt so grateful. I got to be, you know, we were in 98 countries. It starts out, the, the first pilot TV uh, writer of the LA Times says, by way of criticism. He said, it's going to sink like the Titanic. Well, screw him. We went on for 13 years. <laughs> yeah, what, a great him. Gift. what a great gift. So I can, get a, I can get a good table in any country in the world because of Love Boat. Some of the shows were, were done with uh, voiceovers and some were done with titles, you know, titles underneath the, uh, the film. And it's still going on. I mean, on Channel 54, it's on Sunday nights. I say, oh, that's what I looked like 40 years ago. How about that? <laughs> just a great plus. I just got finished. Well, I did the whole last year on a show called Be Positive. And they really didn't, they really didn't know what to do with me, and that's okay. But just a couple of weeks ago, I played a Catholic uh, priest on a show called Grey's Anatomy. That's very odd because that show was going on for 18 years. I'd never seen it. So I get this, so I get to do it, and it was everybody was so sweet and so so delightful, and they welcomed me, being the old the old guy. Uh, they were just making sure that I was comfortable. They were probably all big fans of yours for the over the, over the years. And oh, a friend of mine in um, Memphis, Tennessee said, "Oh, a friend of mine uh, just saw you on something you did uh, 60 years ago." I said, uh, "Was it uh, Al Alfred Hitchcock presents?" I said, "Oh yeah, that's what it was." So I'm, I'm maybe there. So my, my motto is, um, if you don't mess up too badly, they allow you to continue in the business. And so far, they continue to allow me to keep on going. So that's, that's I'm just so lucky. I'm 88 years old. Just so lucky. Just so lucky, lucky, lucky. You've done so much. So much. Well, I, I have a question. When you got the love boat, and now you're the leading man. This is a, this, you know, because you had gone... You'd been in tons of great shows like Bewitched and Get Smart and That Girl all concurrently, but then now you're not the guest star. You're you're like a, a leading man. The weird thing about about that is the uh, previous to the Love Boat, I had uh, like say two days and then you go home. Then uh, sometimes it's three days on the Flying Nun and and uh, the Doris Day Show and Bewitched and, and all that. But on Love Boat. You just keep on going, keep on going, keep, and you never know how how people are going to take it. But they love the show, 
because it was what you could call it a, um, a happy ending show. We had what we call page 58 resolutions, which means if somebody, if a couple comes on and they're fighting and they're going to get a divorce on by page 58, they're happy again. And yay, okay. But it was a feel good show. And some people complained about that. And I say, hey, this ain't a documentary, it's a romantic fantasy, okay? And of course, that's why people liked it, because they would they would like their lives to really go that way. I mean, just a great a great gift, and I'm so looking forward to, uh, what is it going to be, um, February, I think February 26th, we go out on the Majestic Princess. After all the um, the negative stuff with the COVID and people were imprisoned on the ship, they couldn't get off. But this will honor my dear friend, Gavin McLeod, and uh, I'm bringing my wife and my kids, and we're going to enjoy the magnificence. By the way, the original Pacific Princess was 553 feet. The subsequent ships have been 1,080 feet wow. with every amenity you could possibly dream of, possibly imagine. We, as love boatiers, created this gigantic business for not just Princess, but for all the other cruise lines as well. Because years ago, the ships used to go out half full, a third full, with very only with very wealthy people and, uh, and like that. But because of us, we've created the business. We've created the cruise business. Right. The Love Boat made it accessible for yeah. all people to and it's, it, I mean, it's reasonably priced. You only pack and unpack once, and the world comes to you. You don't have to just keep getting off and going here and going there, going here and going there. The last cruise I went on, I discovered the greatest thing you can do is when you're at a port is not get off the ship. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. The ship is fully running and it's empty and you got the whole thing to yourself. It's amazing. I have, a, I have a love, another love boat question. Who of the guest stars were like the ones that just made you the most wide-eyed? Like you just couldn't believe you got to to meet them as they were guesting on the show. Okay, Juliet Prowse. I had a crush on her for years. I mean, one of the most beautiful. Uh, I happen to be a leg man, gorgeous legs, and a, and a sweet, sweet personality, and a very talented actress. And so I get the script, and I say, God, this is a hell of a script. And I call the office. I get excited. I said, Who's playing Samantha? And I said, Oh, all in all, let me let me take a look. Okay, Juliet Browse. I said, oh, no, yes, oh, Juliet Browse. So we, it was a brilliant script. It was like we had, we were married, but we were very hot for each other at the same time. She had annoying habits that made me somewhat uncomfortable. I had annoying habits that made her uncomfortable. So the marriage really did not work. So I gave her 500 bucks, and I said, you go ahead, get a, get a divorce, that's fine. Well, she gave she gave the money to her her butcher, whose brother was a lawyer or something, and that, but it didn't work. She said, we were still married. I said, "Oh crap!" So we had very sexy scenes, and one particular sexy scene, we were in bed together, and I said, "Oh my God, this is Juliet Prowse, and I'm in bed with Juliet Prowse." Now you got fifty people in the sound department and the camera department wardrobe, everything, everybody's looking at you and you're in bed with this dream of a human being. So just before, I, she says, you know, and she starts to tell me this story and I'm saying, oh, wait, why is she, st- I, I 
trying to concentrate because I, it, it's in between being intimidated and, and being turned on. She says, you know, Charles Boyer had a scene with this very uh, sexy lady, and he said to her, just before the scene starts, sweetheart, during the scene, we're in bed together, and it's uh, very sexy. And if possibly during this sexy scene, I don't get aroused, or I do get aroused, forgive me, please. If possibly I don't get aroused, forgive me, please. I almost messed that up. But it came, it came back okay. <laughs> I use that same line on my wife all the time. Juliet Krauss was, was one. Shirley Jones was another delight. Shirley Jones was the go-to girl for Oklahoma, for Carousel, for Music Man, for anything. But she had the attitude of a little girl so thrilled to be chosen for these roles. So we're on Mykonos. Mykonos, one of the Greek islands, and uh, we have a little scene together at an outdoor trattoria and uh, surrounded by uh, maybe, I don't know, 30 uh, Greek extras. And there are squid hanging from wires ab- above us. And she's just, I said, sure, let's, let's uh, go over this. Uh, and she said, and she starts, tears start coming out of her eyes. I said, what, what are you doing? You're a pro. You're an Academy Award winner, for God's sake. Straighten, you, straighten yourself out. She says, burn. She says, we're here in Mykonos, this beautiful Greek island, all of these lovely people all around us and the squid hanging, and we're being paid. Oh, God. And she starts, the mascara starts coming down her face. And I said, make up. And they come and they straighten around with, with, with that. But that's the kind of personality that she had. She so, had achieved so much and yet was so humble. Eva Marie Saint, who was a dream of a human being, she volunteered. There was a magician on, on the ship from one of one of our cruises. He said, "Okay, who would like who would like to help me with some uh, some of my magic tricks?" And she put her hand up. And the guy says, uh, well, "What is your name?" She said, "Eva." I said, well, "He said, where are you from?" He said, Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for Eva from Hollywood. And they started applauding. He was the only one on the ship who had no idea who she was or if she had won an Academy Award. Every time she helped him with a, with a trick, he put his hand up. And he said, let's hear it for Eva from Hollywood. And they applauded. But that was the kind of personality she was. So, okay, so we're now we're in um, the Parthenon in Greece. And I was studying for a play that I was to do when we got back to uh, to L.A. This is a little break, and they're sitting up outside the Parthenon. And she walks over to me, and I'm studying and studying, and she says, Bernie, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm uh, studying for this uh, play that I'm going to be doing when we come back. She said, would you like me to cue you? I said, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. I, could, I couldn't ask you to cue me. I said, you're an Academy Award. She said, I do it for all my friends. I said, well... Okay, so she cued me, and I said, this is so delightful. And uh, she was that kind of giving personality. That's so awesome. Yeah, lovely. And we had uh, Ray Milland, who had won an Academy Award for Lost Weekend. Uh, You may be too young to remember that. Anyway, it's American night on the ship, American night. And they served Turkey. And up till that time, he had been a very sedate Britisher and talking very politely and so forth. Well, they served this turkey and he gets crazy. He said, why do they keep 
deferring to this Norman Rockwell picture with the breast up of the damn turkey and drying the damn thing out. What the fuck is with these people? So he says, don't you realize you turn the damn thing upside down with the breast down in the, in the last part of the cooking and you baste it and then you get a moist breast. That's the way I've been doing it ever since. Makes perfect sense to me. You gotta, you need a moist breast, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and Mark Harmon was on that and he joined me and uh, I was doing a lot of skipping rope at that time in the, uh, the trip up to uh, Alaska. And he joined me in a skipping rope. You know, he was he was a quarterback at UCLA, and and then he became uh, he became an actor. But the fun and the the treat of having these Academy Award winners was just beyond your imagination. Who was the dancer who danced with Fred Astaire? Ginger Rogers was on the show. Ginger Rogers, another Academy Award winner. So it was beyond your dreaming to have these people who were very happy to be doing this this show. You guys had so many guest stars. It was, I couldn't even make, I could barely make a list. I mean, 13 years times, well, at least five or six an episode. <laughs> it was just, it was wacko. I mean, it was, who, who we got this week, who we got that week. Just amazingly talented people. Gene Kelly, the great dancer. I, I really enjoyed his dancing more than I did Fred Astaire. <laughs> There's a, the dog is, the, the dog is agreeing with me, you see. <laughs> Dog's got good taste, just like you. I know. I love my doggy. She's uh, she's. We got her from a no-kill shelter. She's a uh, a shepherd and so loving, but she's protecting us by barking at the gardeners. Our dog does the same thing. Anybody who walks by our front yard—that's what they do. Has another thing That's coming. What <laughs> <laughs> so, but what about Jessica Walter? Oh yeah, and, and I worked with I worked with her later on. on she's marvelous, great pair of legs. And then I worked with her later on on, on uh, something development. What the hell is that? Arrested development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was on that, and then she passed away. I said, "What the hell is going on here?" I didn't expect that because she seemed, you know, vital and all that. By the way, Juliet Prowse passed away of um, pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer. And I said, "Oh shit!" That was- I know. Yo. It's a rough one. Gorgeous. I just lost a friend to that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's. that's yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. But anyway, it was. It was a treat. It was a treat. And some. Some people said, you know, don't you? Aren't you afraid that you're going to be typecast? And I said, no, I'm not. And I just kept working after that. I just kept going and going and going. And uh, you know, just to, uh, I probably mentioned to you the just a couple of weeks ago, I played a, a, a an Irish priest on Grey's Anatomy. Wait till my rabbi hears about this. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> well, at least your mom got my my nice Jewish son. He's a doctor on a ship. Yeah. <laughs> he's a doctor, <laughs> not a doctor, a dentist, a doctor. Yeah, kafeling, kafeling. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> do you love like the opportunities when they come up to play the character again? Like either. Like I know there was Love Boat the Next Wave, but like also like like on Saturday Night Live where you did Love Boat the Next Generation with like that old skit. Like, do you, do you get a kick out of doing that? And like even like with the Get Smart stuff, we got a chance to revisit the character. I had fun. Uh, Don and I tried to do um, something Get Smart again, and that didn't quite work. You you cannot go. I mean, you may be able to go, but it usually doesn't work to go back and try to duplicate something. Because the magic is gone, you know, Don and I. By the way, Don, he was a Marine. The bullets didn't kill them, but the cigarettes did. 
this cigarette. He, he smoked and smoked and smoked. And uh, you know, luckily, on Get Smart. I had done the Steve Allen show, and Steve was such a brilliant mind. He, we did two shows, two shows a day. I did 30 shows with Steve. He was so brilliant. He, he, he wrote music, he wrote songs, played the piano, played the xylophone. I mean, he was just so prolific. So we're doing a sketch one day. In the middle of the sketch, he starts with that, he starts laughing, cackling. He had that cackle. So after the sketch is over, I said, Steve, what would I, I mean, the, shit, the, the, the sketch was, was funny, it was okay, but it wasn't that <laughs> funny. He said, you should hear the show going on in my head. That was Steve Allen. And we had Muhammad Ali came on the show when he was still um, uh, Cassius Clay. And he kept up with his brilliant humor with Steve. And that was, that was a moment. I mean, if you had ever seen a human being with a perfect male form, that was Cassius Clay. That was Muhammad Ali. And subsequently, he turned out to be the most loved, powerful man. And he refused to fight in Vietnam. He said, you know, those Vietnam never did anything to me. And he became more and more of an icon as he went along. Phyllis Diller was on the show, and she had became a tremendous influence on my life in the area of positivity. The whole thing, the whole career was, and even my father came around after trying to convince me that I had to be in his business to, to make a living. I don't know if he, I don't know if he ever made more than uh, collectively. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he, he did okay with, with that deceitful business, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I wanted to do what I enjoyed. What turned me on in high school, Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn. Miss Searles was the English teacher, and at one point she said, uh, Mr. Coppell, may we borrow your voice for verse choir? And it never occurred to me that to even, it was an extracurricular thing at school, and I said, yeah, that could be fun. I did that, and that was really a pleasure. And then I got interested in the um, radio workshop at Boys High, and then I got into the all-city radio workshop downtown, and I said, this is what I like, and it's fun, and I got into NYU, and it turned out that um, I was a pretty pretty decent uh, actor as, as a student, and I pursued that, because that was fun, that was what I enjoyed to doing, and when I talk to young kids who want to be in a biz, I say, find out what it is that makes you happy, or as Morgan Freeman says, I never worked a day in my life. It's all been fun. And I think of it that way. It, it has been and re continues to be fun. And that's what uh, one of the great keys is. Those are great words to live by. Because if you're miserable, it ain't going to work out too well. Anyway, I've had enough of your abuse. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's about it for me, Ken. Well, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This was so fun. My pleasure. Now, this was fun. This was like a Morgan Freeman kind of fun. <laughs> Reliving uh, all the stuff that, um, that has been and continues to be my life. All right. A pleasure to talk to you, kiddo. I appreciate your appreciation and uh, have a great everything. Okay? You too. Have a great everything. Pleasure. Kid. Pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Bernie. All right, how awesome with Bernie Coppell. And that concludes the Love Boat Trilogy. Doc, Isaac, Gopher, what podcast do you guys hang out on? We hang out on your podcast, Jeff. That was a voice impression. That was not actually them. So anyway, I, I didn't want to fool you guys. But anyway, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. And now I just need Vicky and Julie McCoy. 
So if anybody knows them, I've reached out, but I have not heard back. That would just be incredible, huh? All right, well, with the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right, it's time for a trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free, never costs a penny hashtag roundup app. Play along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Everyone together, fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag, of course, inspired by Doc from the Love Boat, served up by Classic Tags, a weekly show on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag things doctors shouldn't say. Bernie wasn't a real doctor, but he played one on TV. I'm sure he would hope no one on the ship would get sick, so he wouldn't have to say any doctor things. But just in case, here's a list of things you shouldn't say anyway. Hashtag things doctors shouldn't say. Damn, the one time I skipped class in med school and it comes back to bite me in the ass. That is definitely an example of hashtag things doctors shouldn't say. You get out of play? All right, let's do some more. We need to amputate your legs. But here's the good news. I'm going to give you $20 for your slippers. Let's see what Wikipedia says. So let's see. It's lefty loosey righty tighty, right? This might work. I don't know. I haven't done it before. Hashtag things doctors shouldn't say. Sucks to be you right now. Uh, according to your chart, don't make any long-term plans. Let me check WebMD for your diagnosis. Why, yes, I'll perform any operation for $129.95. Mind if I smoke? It's probably Skittles box. And our final hashtag things doctors shouldn't say tweet. Holy crap. What is that? Oh, all right. Those are amazing examples of things doctors shouldn't say. Tweet your own. Hashtag things doctors shouldn't say. Tag me at Jeff Jawaskin Show. I'll show you some Twitter love. As always, all the tweets I read will be retweeted at Jeff Jawaskin Show on Twitter. Go find them, like them, retweet them, do something. Show them some love. Let them know you heard them. Here on Live from Detroit, the Jeff Jawaskin Show. Well, with the hashtag over and the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right. Episode 124 has come to a close. I want to thank my amazing guest, Bernie Coppell. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.